0: You're listening to All The King's Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. However, the views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and other contributors. They do not necessarily represent those of the Los Angeles Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen.
1: Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All The King's Men. Uh, we've got a lot going on in this episode, so I'll keep it brief. We're going to start off with a post-game reaction to that Sharks loss. Then we've got Jack Wilson with a Kings Weekly preview and also a bit of a reaction to the loss to Tampa Bay from earlier in this week. Then we were revisited by Jessica from Zodiac Hockey, and I want to be perfectly clear about this, you guys, because I got some interesting feedback. Um, no, I do not believe in astrology. This is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, it's a long season. There's only so many ways to look at the game, and uh, the folks at Zodiac Hockey do a good job, a thorough job, and I think an entertaining job. Of giving us an alternative review. So, never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Now here's the episode. We're in the press box at Staples Center following the Kings' 3-2 loss to the San Jose Sharks. I'm here with Jack Jablonski. Jack, it is a 3-2
2: league. How are you doing tonight? 3-2 to night. I don't know. Not. It is what it is. It's, it's another Kings one goal loss, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and it you know it comes to a team that's most likely going to finish ahead of them in the standings, so you don't feel like you're losing any, any ground, I suppose. But it is
3: Just getting
1: later in the season, and every game, Dallas is, appears to not be going away. Calgary appears to not be going away. Vancouver appears to not yet be going away. Now, I fully expect all those teams to falter down the stretch, but the question is, will the Kings also falter, and...
2: This, you know, this three to two loss was, you know, it's it's a Wednesday night rivalry game, NBC Sports Network game, one of those times when you want to, you know, prove to the league that you've got it on a night like tonight, and it's just a little bit more salt in the wound. You know, you're adding salt in the wound. Not only is it a loss, you get, you get zero points. It's it's the Sharks, and that's that's what that's what kills us. You know, we'd won, I think, our past two or th- out of three, I believe, um, and previously we hadn't fared as as well as, as you know those you know that two out of three winning streak yeah. uh but at the same time you know it's it's a bummer to see uh, a team like this you know lose this one you know at home on national tv
1: we've talked in the past on the podcast about um and and coach Sutter sort of alluded to this phenomenon at at points where you sort of sum up a stretch of, of games by how it ends right so if you if you go, you know, 3-5-1 and one over a, over a nine-game stretch or whatever it is, if you lose the last two, you know, obviously that pushes you sub-500. Yep. But it also, you know, it, it sets the tone for that, for that clutch of games. And, and this homestand, I think a lot of people were expecting good things. They beat Detroit, they beat Minnesota, but then... And they have great games against uh, St. Louis and Winnipeg, but losing to Tampa Bay, losing to San Jose... Um, Lost to Detroit. Uh, sorry, lost to Detroit, not beat Detroit. Thank you. <laughs> but they beat uh, Minnesota and Winnipeg in overtime. Um, and they had that one good game against St. Louis. But this homestand winds up being sub-500. And uh, I, think, I think they only won six points out of a possible 14. That's not great. <laughs> That's yeah. really not good, given that the road, previous road trip had been up and down. And now they go on the road for the better part of a month. I mean, they have a home game. Early in February, I think one game against Colorado on the 1st of February, and that's it till the 16th of February. I mean, they come back for the All-Star break, so the the team isn't actually, quote-unquote, on the road for the whole month.
2: They're not playing any games at home. Yeah, they're they're
1: (laughs) playing one game at Staples Center over the next calendar month. Um, Hopefully Tyler Toffoli comes back because this team needs him.
2: They do, and that's one of the things, is we're lacking scoring right now. You know, Budai's going to, you know, you give up three goals against a San Jose team, you know, that's a game that, you know, with a Budai in net, you've got to try to take advantage of that. And, and, and Budai has played tremendously well after stepping into a very sticky situation, you know, three games into the season. Uh, as a you know, starting at the AHL and three games later you're the starter uh, on a team that has, you know, playoff expectations and, and Stanley Cup expectations, especially what we've been able to do in the past. And and to see um, to see us have falter here and lose the last two games in, in not such a great fashion, it's a bummer to, to to really see that, you know, your your stars aren't stepping up right now and, and, and you know when when the you know your role players are playing well that's a time when you have to take advantage and, 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 you know, be opportunistic and get those points.
1: You know, obviously Gabrick was out for a long stretch. Kopitar missed some time. There's some question as to whether or not he's injured or fatigued or missing line mates, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyler Tafoli now out of the lineup. But you see a guy like Tanner Pearson, right, who ha- 14 goals, 10 assists, in 43 games, about half a season. He missed, obviously, four games at the start of the the season, but I just wonder if, I don't want to use the term waste, but I I just wonder if Tanner Pearson, if tafoli were healthy, if Gabarik were healthy, and if we had an opportunity to see some semblance mm. of line structure, you know, over the course of the, the first half of the season, <laughs> yeah. obviously, right, the lines shift and jumble and, and move and change, but if... If that 70s line had had a chance to play together or if they decided, okay, Pearson, Kopitar, and Gabrik, whatever the lines were, I'm curious if he just might not have had even a few more goals or a few more points because mm-hmm. he's been yeah. consistent out there and he's looked mm-hmm. really good, but... but in a season with all these injuries and with some guys mm. underperforming, there's only so much a guy like Tanner Pearson. I mean, look, I I love Tanner Pearson, but there's only so much a guy like him can do. He's not Jeff Carter. He's yeah. not going to put up forty goals in a season. Yeah,
2: it's again, you know, we've talked about this before, and and you know, the Kopitar situations has everyone scratching their heads. No one really knows, you know, what the situation is there. Whether it may be those line mates or, or the health issues, if there are any that that we don't know about, you know, on the outside, you know, looking in. It's a situation that, you know, many people are, are you know, a little nervous about because there's a guy you've paid for the next 10 years, essentially, and and has, you know, a huge, you know, a huge end of that salary cap that's, that's in his hands and you know we're gonna have to make some moves probably at the end of the deadline with with what's coming up in Vegas that you know associate your rosters where you're you know gonna be okay for next year at the same time make a playoff run and and the quick injury is 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 huge you know we can't forget that we're missing a top you know three goalie in the NHL right now and you know we're still in the playoff picture let alone we're still in the playoffs right now so you know it is what it is and it's, it's an injury plague season, and we're keeping our heads above water, and you know, 43 games into the season, I believe, you know, we're in the playoffs right now and with the roster we have and with the injuries we've dealt with you know, early in the season and how screwed up all of our lines have been, defensively and offensively and obviously most importantly in net. You know, we're doing well for, for what we've got right now.
1: Yeah, and this is, this is the, the curse of all sports except for the NFL, I think, and maybe mm-hmm. college football where the season is so long that even though mm-hmm. right even though a, a 10 game sample size which sounds small you go oh it's 10 games yep. well that could take that could take a month to yeah. play those 10 games or very close to it anyway and so even though in our minds we're saying oh yeah yeah they're they're <laughs> in the race they're doing fine it's just like after a month of watching these Two to one, three to two losses, where you're just like yeah. in the first period, you're like, wow, they're just not going to win this one. Um, it gets, you know, you you get bummed, and you want the team to do something, and and you know, you just don't understand it. But um, but I want to talk briefly because for the second game in a row, if not more, uh, the best line out there, I think, has been Dowd, Setaguchi, and Clifford. Um, what are you seeing out
2: of that mm. line? Well, first of all, that's concerning because yeah. as <laughs> yes. a third line. You know, rule of thumb, this yeah. should be your third best line. Yeah, um, or fourth, even. Or fourth, <laughs> and, and today our second best line was our fourth line. Yeah. So it's, uh, on you know, looking at the first two lines, concerning. But when you're looking at the third line specifically, that's great, because they're creating opportunities, they're creating energy. You know, one thing that uh, I think a lot of general fans can overlook is the matchups within the game. You, know, you look at a third line, and a lot of time you have a third line that will go out there and, and, and play the first line of the other team, especially when you're at home and you have the opportunity to, to, to have the last change. And to be able to, to be effective and create scoring opportunities, it puts that much more of a burden on the opposing team to match up with them now opposed to just by, you know taking away the Kopitar line or taking away the Carter line. Now you've got a line that's you know consistently in the offensive zone and creating chances and keeping the crowd into the game. You know, with a lively crowd like Los Angeles, you know, having third and fourth line contribute, you know, those are the times when those first and second lines have to take advantage of it, and unfortunately tonight they didn't. But that being said, you know, they did a great job today in creating opportunities and keeping themselves out of bad situations when they necessarily didn't have great lineup matchups.
1: I still want to see Clifford on the top line with Kopitar and Gabryk.
2: That's my new new wish. That's That's my... my New Year's resolution. As you were looking at the heat map, I think one thing that has to be said is you, know, you look where San Jose is and they're always in front of the goaltender yeah. where you know I I know I've mentioned this before and it's repetitive and repetitive again, but <laughs> we've got to go to the net. We have the big bodies, we have the skilled, you know, big bodies that, you know, we're so used to seeing in those two Stanley Cup runs that you know can put the puck in the front of the net. You know, you looked at the first goal that Burns scored. know it went off of two guys in front of the net that's something the kings are used to seeing and used to doing you know dowdy did not play a great game today i i counted six seven turnovers even though our statistician had zero um that's you know (laughs) i'm not going to talk to him about that but it is what it is yeah Uh, but you know those are the things that we we didn't see and we're used to seeing and that's Mm -hmm. why we we're used to seeing the success from this organization is you've got guys you know what created opportunities today was our third and fourth line going to the net putting the puck on net getting you know creating you know problems for martin's vision and you know it was it was very very you know outside today and you know you know ring it around the boards and then yeah. back up to the d and then shoot it back around the boards you know that's not that's not king's hockey and you know it resulted in zero points
1: and i'm glad you brought up opportunity because um a, it's I think it's an important element of their game, and B it mm-hmm. reminds me of what I was going to say earlier, <laughs> which is uh, Logan Couture was out of the lineup for the Sharks, and in yep. the last game, Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman were out of the line out of the lineup for Tampa Bay, and and these
2: were these were games that were opportunities. There were there were points on the table with teams that weren't healthy, right. with teams that were on a road trip, that teams in your own building, and we didn't take advantage of it, and, and that's why I think it stings. So much more than just a loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning.
1: And in both games, uh, well, I think I think they've been getting better as the season goes on with going to the net. Certainly, neither game. Uh, I never really, I yeah, I never really felt like they were going to. Right, the Tanner Pearson goal came out of nowhere. It was yep. a it was a nice tip, but tip. it was a tip. Puck was off net, yeah. but he went to the net. That's yep. the and, thing. And this is how Gabbik scored not only in this went game but the also net. in, in yep. the, uh, the other game. But yeah, there was a ton of perimeter play, and and look, I don't know how much of that is just that the you know, the, the lineups are shaking, and so nobody knows whose turn it is to go to the net, or, or <laughs> if they're all yeah. hurt and you know, <laughs> nobody wants to, <laughs> to deal with it, I don't blame them, but uh, anyway, a, a, a rough loss, they go on the road, like I said, for the better part of a month, so uh, the next time you and I will talk, uh, after a Kings game, we'll be yep. in Colorado, we may speak before then, uh, the printers are beginning to roll, so we're going to wrap this up. But uh, yeah. any any final thoughts on the uh, upcoming
2: <laughs> Caribbean trip? That, uh, I, I think that the biggest though? thing is you know keep an eye on the lines, keep an eye on the top two lines, and see if they make any switches, just to change things up. You know I think you know what we've seen has it gotten a little stale or is something falling a little flat? That's what's to be determined. I think you know you look at these last two games; it's an unfortunate situation to see two you know battered up teams come in and and, and sneak away with two points against us. Uh, so I'd look at the Kopitar line, look at the Carter line, see where Pearson goes, and see if we can get a little bit more spark in those top two lines because the, you know, the bottom six are playing really well. we got to take advantage of it. So
1: fortunately, we're done with the Sharks for the year. Uh, the next five games uh, feature the New York Islanders, the New Jersey Devils, the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Arizona Coyotes. So you'd None like,
2: of which are in the playoffs. No, that should be eight points. You'd like to think that it, in a perfect that, world, yeah, that
1: out of those uh, five games, you'd, I'm going to go. I won't even go eight. I won't be ambitious. I'll, I'll say seven. You'd, I'd I'll like to see it. them get seven points out of the next ten.
3: Yeah,
2: we. Uh, you look and then at, they have Colorado after that. So you, you got to take advantage of their schedule. This is a time they're on the road for a long time. Yep. But these are winnable games, and and, and you know, keep this in mind: a playoff team would win these games.
1: Yes, they would. So let's uh, let's hope that what we're watching is in fact a playoff team. For Jack Jablonski, my name's Jesse Cohen. Thanks for listening, King Sans. We'll talk to you soon. Joining me now, senior producer from Fox Sports West, Jack A. Wilson. How are you doing today,
3: Jack? I'm good. I'm currently scouring the uh, lists of uh, NHL rookies and prospects to figure out which player we can attach the uh, moniker "Young Pope" to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I honestly
3: honestly thought young pope was a joke uh, oh it is a joke and it's the best <laughs> joke ever it's it's we, we watched it we watched it last night and yeah. i'm 110 percent in on young pope so
1: i have only the,
3: excuse me the young pope see, I guess, yeah yeah
1: right? i i have for those of you who don't know the young pope is a show on hbo uh and it is exactly what it sounds like it's about a pope who's young and oh my god he's young Um, and he's the pope and he's the pope (laughs) i jack i have not watched a single episode of this but i have seen at least two dozen three to seven minute clips of it on youtube and i and i think i think that's how i'm gonna watch the show from now on
3: it's um well there's only been one episode so it sounds like you've seen almost the entire first episode right but no
1: no context or interstitials just the sort of
3: dramatic i'll tell you this as as somebody's watched the entire show, context is not going to do a lot for you.
1: No, I don't uh, think it will. But it's so great viewed that way. There's a minute and a half, you know, a clip of uh, the young pope telling the old cardinal what's what and who's boss. Uh, it's fantastic.
3: I, I, I just, I my, I just can't wait for all the the young pope, um, like like uh, uh, themed Valentine's Day cards, oh, and Lord. then we'll get into like. <laughs> Like uh, like Halloween costumes and then it's 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 on the way to sweeping the nation here. Uh, Jude, Jude Law uh, firing down butts and uh, and and crushing uh, uh, Cherry Coke Zero. Is, <laughs> yeah, I thought that
1: was a great bit of product placement. It's it's Cherry great. Coke like
3: this, all 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 my one, I guess my elevator pitch for The Young Pope is that Jude Law uh, at one point in the show. Uh, clarifies that he does not eat much because all he enjoys are cigarettes <laughs> and uh, cherry Coke Zero. So, and and he's the Pope. I don't know if we mentioned that part of it. Really, um, I,
1: I feel like I feel like cherry Coke Zero is a young man's game, where his Pope is usually an
3: old man. How does that jive? Oh, well, because he's young. <laughs> oh my yeah, that's God. The, thing. <laughs> young. the young Pope is actually oh young. It's God. in the title. All right. So there we go. So. So uh, so that's my my life uh, the last week has been LA Kings hockey and just anticipated The Young Pope and now I'm anticipating episode 2 of The Young Pope. Well I was
1: I was just very happy to see James Cromwell back on my television but uh, <laughs> for the, for those who don't uh, enjoy The Young Pope we got we got a Monday matinee game between uh, the LA Kings without Anshay Kopitar and Tyler Toffoli versus the Tampa Bay without <laughs> Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman jack you did not attend this game
3: uh, i did not i was uh I, I was not available yet for yesterday's game or for monday's game um that was it was cool to see some uh weekday hockey played out though i, I will say that um and uh a big we're getting close to the big road trip here so yeah. i think uh i i think w- that that's just one of those weird games, right? On on Monday, that that felt like one of those. I, I not necessarily that the Kings were going to lose, but that it was just going to be one of those kind of lethargic games, and and it, it felt like it all along. So um, yeah,
1: I mean, we knew Toffoli was going to be out, but but the mood of the arena, you know, John Rosen you know, showed up in the, in the press box and, and said, and oh. everyone booed. And then from that point on, it was just
3: a real bummer. Somebody somebody yelled
1: out Harbaugh. No, but he, uh, he. <laughs> no, I know, wasn't there. Jesse. He, uh, he announced, uh, that the scuttlebutt was that, that, uh, Andre Kopitar would not be playing and you could just see everybody's shoulders. Slumped. I was just like, Oh God, this yeah. is going to be a game. And then we found out that Victor Hedman wasn't in. And so we thought, all right, well maybe they might win. Yeah. Um, as it turns out, they didn't. But yeah, it was not a terrific game. And and this is one of the, you know, this is one of the sort of modern problems that sports has, where there's 82 games in a year, but we live in a world now where there are if there's no hockey game on any given night, right? I'm I'm flush with options. Whereas right. even as you know, recently as 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, if there wasn't a hockey game. Well, then, you know, I'd have to watch whatever was on TV on a Monday night. Um, yeah. I don't remember what that was 20 years ago, <laughs> but I'm sure it wasn't great. I think that was
3: Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. As I, I, <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure that's that what that was. sounds right. Yeah. It certainly
1: wasn't the young Pope. Um, no, Murphy Brown. So, Murphy Brown and Fresh go. Prince of Bel-Air. There, <laughs> there you go. You go. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So having a Monday afternoon game was sort of uh, interesting. Um but yeah, lethargic is a good word for it. Uh, sure. You know, they lost two to one, and the second goal was a bit of a heartbreaker. And
3: yeah, they never and really they... came close to scoring again. We got a Kyle Clifford goal, so that's yeah. you know, look. Well, the
1: Kyle Clifford had a goal and a fight within the first ten minutes of the game. It was looking things were looking up.
3: <laughs> right. Exactly. The well, the, the so the crazy thing here is so they play the Sharks at home on. On Wednesday night, on yep. the 18th, January mm-hmm. 18th, and they have one home game for the next month after that.
1: That's because crazy.
3: We have the Grammy trip, we have the All Star break, and we have the one week uh, dead period. Thanks the to the world. That's right. Yeah. And they, they come back off the bye week goes from February 10th to February 15th. Um, so they come back on the 16th and play the Coyotes at home. You know
1: what? It's totally bizarre. You are 100% right. I don't know why it didn't occur to me. I mean, I've been doing nothing but staring at the Kings schedule (laughs) for the last two weeks. Now seems as good a time as any to announce that I, in fact, will be following the team.
3: There you Um, go.
1: Not traveling with the team, but following the team, following
3: them, uh, running (laughs) running behind their bus. Yes,
1: exactly. To Philadelphia, (laughs) Washington D.C., Tampa Bay, and Florida, and I will be. That's awesome. uh, I bet you we're going to get some
3: great, uh, some great hashtag content out of that.
1: You are going to be getting so much hashtag content (laughs) out about that. But yeah, you're right. One game against Colorado on the first of uh, February, and then that's it until the 16th when they play Arizona again.
3: Yeah, as as someone whose responsibilities for the most begin and end with uh king's home games on fox sports west um I, I the fact that the wednesday night sharks game uh and the game against the avalanche are both on nbc oh my god uh, yeah off. so so <laughs> no, not exactly but i, I just won't be uh, i won't be at any king's games for a while i guess <laughs> it's not exactly a month off but yes i, I won't I, I will miss uh i will miss a little uh, in-person king's hockey for the next month and i I'm uh, I'm kind of mentally preparing myself for that.
1: Fortunately, you've got the young Pope to fill I some, do. To fill some Fortune, of those hours.
3: <laughs> fortunately, I have the young Pope, and then we do have the All-Star Game here in L.A. to look forward to. So I feel like that's going to make up for the team's month-long absence. will be the three days of fun and excitement at the All-Star Game.
1: I realize that HBO and Fox Sports West are at some level competitors, but do you think <laughs> that the young Pope will make an appearance or maybe drop the first uh, puck at the All-Star
3: Game? I mean, I don't know. Is Jude Law a, uh, a hockey fan? I, I, gotta, I doubt not, it somehow. What, what's more likely, Jude Law or Diane Keaton being a, a Kings fan? Probably oh, Diane I, Keaton. Yeah, right? I would
1: say Diane Keaton, one hundred percent.
3: Diane Keaton must have like come to a game with Tom Hanks sometime in, in yeah. the eighties or nineties, right? Like, and she, I'm sure she, when <laughs> she
1: lived in New York, she probably was went to Rangers games or Islanders games,
3: right? <laughs> yeah, maybe she went just like she saw Gretzky with the Rangers or something. Maybe okay. maybe she'll come out for the NHL 100 on. Uh, on uh, friday night
1: (laughs) i mean i'm not expecting it but it wouldn't surprise me (laughs) it
3: wouldn't surprise me yeah that seems real realistic so um so there you go so you heard it here first folks come to the nhl 100 (laughs) diane keaton guaranteed to be present (laughs) um yeah so let's talk about king's weekly jesse because we've gone off the rails a little earlier this week than normal well i I wasn't
1: expecting the young pope to feature so prominently (laughs) in this episode but you're right let's talk about king's weekly
3: uh, yeah, this week, uh, the L.A. Kings are bringing us uh, their latest edition of Black and White, focusing on Peter Budai and uh, not just his, um, his kind of cool journey over the last year and a half, two years, uh, going from kind of having to find his game again in the AHL to the best goalie in the AHL to now an NHL starting goalie, and um, arguably... You can make you can make a strong argument. I think Jesse would probably help make that argument that he should have been selected for the all-star game. Um, so just kind of cool your cool story he's had over the last year and a half. So the, the black and white covering that uh, Willie O'Ree was in town uh, for the Kings lightning game. I think a lot of people probably saw him drop the puck. Mm-hmm. He also hosted a screening of a new film called Soul on Ice, uh, which which t- uh, highlights the impact he had on making hockey and the NHL and, and the work he's done with the sport of hockey over the years, a more inclusive sport. So we got a chance to talk to Willie while he was here doing that. We have one of our Kings mailbags, all fans submitted questions on Twitter for Derek Forbert. So that was a lot of fun. Derek's a pretty fun guy, very dry sense of humor along the lines of a Matt Green or Alec Martinez. Uh, so I, I, I think people might enjoy that. We had some fun with him. Any food related uh, well,
1: questions
3: this time? Oh, of course. Well, we always bring back the taco versus grilled cheese. Sure. Uh, that that's that's a standard for all for all uh, Kings players. And then, on, in addition, we uh, we did a mailbag earlier this season with Nick Dowd and uh, Derek Forbert, who obviously came up through the rain with him. Uh, they know each other very well, and Derek for- Forbert made a guest appearance in uh, Nick Dowd's mailbag. So you may get a follow up to that in this Forbert uh, mailbag here. Let's see ah yes so and then of course royal reflections jesse we're down to our last couple of weeks of royal reflections here i think we only have about five left at this wow. point because uh, we're we're they're only running up until the all-star game so we've run about 45 we're down to our last five this week bob miller gets his star on the walk of fame that was a that was a fun one and then uh we have the highlights of tippa king from last week which is always a great event um if uh and I'll just say it one more time, we've talked a lot about it, but if you missed the Chris and Daryl Sutter piece that was in our show last week, it's on the Fox Sports West YouTube channel. Uh, I heavily recommend it. Uh, it was pretty awesome. And uh, you see a side of Daryl that is rarely seen, and uh, and it's just awesome to see Chris in his environment. And just the f- everyone's seen how he can work a crowd in the uh, on the Jumbotron, on the dance cam, but to see him do it in his home community there in Manhattan Beach and to see how how much just the local residents love him just as much as King's fans do is pretty cool. And see, he, he's an awesome, special person. And uh, I recommend the piece uh, strongly.
1: I am always impressed with how much stuff you guys are able to pack into King's Weekly, right? It's a half an hour show. Yeah, generally, your money's
3: worth for us.
1: Yeah, and generally speaking, uh, non-scripted half-hour shows, to me, always tend to seem very short. Um, But Kings Weekly always seems, as you said, jam-packed with a lot of stuff. You and I are obviously friends and now co-workers. I have not heard as much feedback about a single episode of Kings Weekly as I have about the Daryl and Chris
3: Sutter piece. That's awesome. Yeah, Um, same here. Tons
1: of people have been commenting about it.
3: Yeah, I think so. I I think it's because anybody who's anywhere close to that organization just a fan or or covers the team obviously a lot of us in the press box get caught up watching chris when he's Mm -hmm. on the jumbotron so i appreciate it that's you saying that because i've actually heard a lot of the same so we're proud of it and it was a fun thing for us to do so good stuff
1: and uh and again every episode i'm as i said i'm always impressed with how much stuff you get and it sounds like this week will be no different yeah um you know if you can only watch two shows, I guess what I'm saying is Kings <laughs> Weekly and Young Pope. Um,
3: I like to, I, 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 well, I mean, I think if you start watching Kings Weekly now, you'll slowly see us evolve into <laughs> like a, a a a Young Pope after show. Sure. So we'll be like a like a fan talking you know, Pope. You know, yeah, Talkin Pope. Yeah, talking Pope. Yeah, talking Pope for sure. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, if there you go, that, that's the, I, I'm going to put that, start putting that on the, I'm going to make a, I'm going to buy some billboard space. And I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to put that, 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 uh, pull quote on there, Jesse. I like it now because,
1: yeah. uh, because we were derailed so early in the conversation with our affection for young Pope <laughs> um, we've, and now we've addressed, um, Kings weekly. I want to ask you, uh, as a uh, TV producer and as a sports fan. Uh, yeah, What you think about the rumors that the NHL will be removing the all-star breakaway? We've talked about it in the past. Um,
3: yeah, uh, it's, I, I don't quite get the logic. No.
1: Um,
3: I, I, it was always redundant with the, uh, the shootout, right? They do the shootout where every guy starts right. and, and you keep shooting until you miss. I always thought it was odd that those were redundant. Um, I, if I had to guess maybe that the the league felt the same way and the reason they got rid of this instead of the shootout was the shootout was the one was the only one that everybody participated in. Right. Right. So like Mm -hmm. the the only way you're going to get every player to show up to the skills challenge is if you say, well, you have to be there because you got to do the shootout. Right. Um, so if you, you know what I mean? So, so they can't get rid of that. So maybe, maybe that's it. I, I, that's the only logic I, I could think of it. Um, but it is a bummer, because that definitely is one of the the more entertaining parts of of the skills competition.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, the skills competition is always a fascinating thing, because everybody has their own, uh, t- like for me, the hardest shot contest just holds no interest for me.
3: Yeah, um, I, 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 we, we had this conversation last year, and I said yeah. I don't understand the appeal of it, because... The guy shoots the puck and then everyone's neck cranes over to right. a, an electronic board where you're trying to see what number is going to pop right, up. right right whereas so, the
1: reality is a, a shot that's 89 miles an hour versus <laughs> a shot that's 97 miles an hour to the, to the human eye is indeterminable
3: exactly so um, we're all you all just like when you're watching at home your eyes just are staring at the bottom corner of the screen waiting for to see if the number that right. pops up is higher than the last <laughs> right it, it really is like the worst game of high low ever like, yeah. like
1: it, and, and unlike a race between two sprinters where you could say oh well the the difference between first place and second place is you know a tenth of a second but at least right. you're watching them cross the line at the same time yeah um, yeah so my guess is that this all-star breakaway uh challenge whatever it's called was scrapped for time i'm guessing because one of the, the one complaint that i think everybody has with most things sports related these days is they tend to drag on yeah um, an awful long time so my i i don't i mean you know, you said, you said it was an excellent opportunity to see their personalities. My argument would be once in a while, it was an awesome way to see. Oh, no, no, no. I I, I
3: don't know if I, I don't know if I said that, but, but but, uh, you're, you're right in saying that. Yeah. Those things are, the, the bits are pretty hit and miss, right? Like a lot of guys and, but good for the players for trying it, right? Like not everything's going to be a home run, but at least, you know, the, it was an opportunity to see which players actually had personality maybe that maybe that's a a better right, way to put it right. cuz like you know but um it's it's just funny because i agree with you on the hardest shot it's not my my favorite skills competition um the fastest skater it baffles me or it it's it's great but it just shocks me every year that they allow it to happen because yeah, we're just some, we know someone's <laughs> going to yeah <laughs> right, someone's like gonna that. get hurt. <laughs> Even more than the game on Sunday, that feels like when someone you know, just right. you're on the teetering on the edge of disaster at all times. Well, I was uh, watching. So the Edmonton Oilers, sorry to interrupt.
1: The Edmonton yeah. Oilers had their own skills challenge, and, right? And they did a and they did a skate around the rink, a time skate around the rink, and the guy was going backwards the whole way. <laughs> and I
3: just thought, oh my god! <laughs> you just add taunting, like taunting. Yeah. The, the, it, it's, uh yeah. So you're just so tempting anyway, so fate to, to right take some guy's ankle
1: out yeah
3: exactly so to me it's just funny that like the one thing that seemed like it was the most beloved and was like like lowest risk of injury definitely (laughs) Uh, i mean i guess short of the goalies like pulling something but like the goalies aren't actually trying in the breakaway challenge anyway but it was just odd that 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 would be the thing that gets cut like it, it didn't make sense and like i said the only reason i could think of is that it's very similar to the shootout to the shootout, which they already do as part of the skills competition. And you can't get rid of that because it's the only thing that includes every player.
1: So I'd like to propose a replacement for the all-star breakaway challenge or whatever the, we're going to call it. And now you tell me if I'm nuts, uh, I say, get the goalie out of there, right? Because nobody wants, sure. Nobody wants a goalie pulling a groin for a silly all-star skills challenge. And like you said, most of them don't try or they slide way out of position. So just put in one of those shooter tutor screens. Sure, yeah. Make the make the holes a little bit bigger, right? Because we don't want this to be impossible. We don't want to have the yeah. thing where you know Ovechkin tries to flip the puck in the air six times and it never happens, <laughs> and, and, and everybody's just like, "Well, okay, what are we watching?" So replace it with a, a much uh, a wider shooter tutor, and then do two-on-ones. Yeah.
3: And, and that,
1: two on ones. Yeah, and let them wear contests or, or, or costumes or props or whatever.
3: I like the idea of two on ones. That, that's that's good. That's that's pretty good because yeah. uh, it gives the. Well, I was going to say it gives. I, I guess maybe you give the chance the defenders a chance to to try to do something as well yeah. that way. I, yeah, it involves more people. I like that.
1: And you know, like let's say it's uh, you know Goudreau and Carter on on Doughty and a shooter tutor, and if Dowdy wants to do something <laughs> crazy, like
3: have two sticks or. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, what, you know whatever. It's um, and and I do agree with you that there are few feelings in the world as uncomfortable as the fail, like right after the failed third attempt. Yeah, at, or like whether it's the dunk contest in the NBA <laughs> or whether right. it's like the shot challenge, where you're just like you're you're uncomfortable for somebody. It's like yeah. watching somebody get up to do karaoke who's really bad, like because uh, you, you know he can't bail at this point because right. you're on national TV and you got to keep trying. And, and the longer can, it goes, the more uncomfortable it gets. And <laughs>
1: you can see the idea, right? The first yeah. time they do it, you're like, "Oh, that would have been so cool if they pulled it off." And then the second yeah. time, you're like, "Okay, I'm less and I'm less emotionally invested." And then by the fifth or 6th you're just like, "All right, just stop." But they
3: they I'll can't stop, stop. No, because no, the stopping can't. is somehow worse because then then it's just like, "Well, what did we watch all that for?" Like, right, right. It's like the final
1: um, uh, the final hole in the tin cup.
3: It it is interesting though that I think for a lot of years you. Would have said the saturday was the exciting part of all-star weekend and almost within about within the, the course of a year here now with the three-on-three tournament it has it has basically flipped yeah now like sunday's the fun part and saturday as i was i would probably say last year saturday as you said felt like a very long night and when you're in the building um it does feel a little longer i think that will be helped by the elimination of one of them i think it'll probably be a better balance like i said it's it is kind of a bummer that they got rid of something that most people seem to like but i do think that will help make saturday feel a little more balanced yeah um,
1: i, I would have gotten rid of the skills relay myself i have never understood why that's interesting yeah, to
3: anybody but that's just again <laughs> again i would imagine it's just most people can be included it's like right, I, right, I i right. think i think they the the I think the 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 thought is probably that if you're going to get these guys to come out to LA and if you're if you want a Columbus Blue Jackets fan to either turn on their TV or or pay to come out to the game you got to make sure that you're giving those guys a chance to be out on the ice at least a couple times on Saturday um so I I would imagine that's the thought behind that
1: yeah Well, it's all going to happen, and I imagine we will all watch it uh, just the way we're all going to watch Kings Weekly. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, Jack, I want to thank you as always for
3: joining me. Uh, thanks again. Uh, let's go back. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll head over to your place soon, and we can uh, sit down and watch Young Pope together, and really break down no, that first episode. I'm only
1: watching it in YouTube
3: clips, Jack. <laughs> I refuse, <laughs> right, I refuse to watch an episode all the way through. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's uh, to here. Here's to uh, a fun All Star Game coming up here, and uh, I look forward to spending it with all of Team TRH. Uh, kind of, and, uh, I feel like they're going to be the real celebrities. I know we've heard a lot about the Kings in the NHL. <laughs> they bringing out some celebrities for all the events. So uh, let's—I I think we all know that the team TRH is going to be the real celebrities of the weekend.
1: It's our time to shine, Jack. It's our time it to is, shine. It is. It is. <laughs> all right, <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jesse. Joining me again from ZodiacHockey.com jessica abel how are you doing today jessica
0: i am fantastic thank you
1: now we had you on before uh was a conversation that i thoroughly enjoyed and so i've asked you to come back on because i've become fascinated and some would argue slightly obsessed with a uh <laughs> a piece of the king season and i i asked you to prepare uh, a little piece about it so i will now explain to the listeners um, the the defensive pairing of Alex Martinez and Jake Muzzin, um, they have had an, an up-and-down season to say the least. Alec Martinez obviously near the leaders in points on the team. Jake Muzzin widely considered uh, one of the better defensemen in the league. He was named to the World Cup uh, for Team Canada this past fall. Um, if you take a look at their performance on the ice from the sort of new uh, advanced statistical analytic Angle, you'd say that their possession numbers are among the best in the league, they suppress shots, they create offense, and yet, for some reason, they tend to be on the ice far more often uh, when goals are scored against the Kings than when goals are scored for the Kings. And so it's raised this sort of debate between me and some other people uh, about what is more important, results or methods. Um, and, and why exactly Muzzin and Martinez are having this sort of bizarre season. And so Jessica, I'm curious, I asked you uh, if you had any sort of insight um, as to the astrological compatibility of, uh, of Alec Martinez and Jake Muzzin uh, to see if maybe that couldn't offer some explanation to their season. Um, so what can you tell us about the two of them uh, as far as their compatibility?
0: Well, yeah. So basically, you know, looking at their two charts, Mm -hmm. if you were looking Mm at them on paper, you know, astrologically, these two guys probably get along really great, both you know, on and and off the ice. And when, by saying that, when we look at compatibility through sort of an astrological lens versus you know what you were just talking about the statistical and technical, the analysts do, we are looking more for sort of four primary areas like of compatibility. You're going to look at. You know, how well do they communicate, you know, as a parent? Do they have misunderstandings or do they just finish each other's sentences? You know, are they just a really great couple? Um, so you really look at that. Then you also look at sort of how they feel about the sport, like what motivates them to play hockey at all? And, and are they similar in what their passion factors are in terms of why they're both playing hockey? Because that can affect, you know, the chemistry as well. Then you also look at how they work together under the game pressure and, sort of how effective they are in making sort of real-time decisions as a team. Um, and then lastly, you're going to kind of look at their overall luck, you know, how lucky are these guys. And and each of these categories are kind of dictated by planets within their chart. Um, and so I, I could break that down for you, for them, and we'll kind of talk about that if that sounds good. Um, well,
1: let's start with the basics. So you... um, what, what are uh... – martinez and Muzzin's signs and are those two signs generally considered compatible
0: yeah so they're basic sign like you know if you were to get hey what's your sign they're uh martinez is a leo and Muzzin's a pisces and in general those are highly compatible signs with martinez being a little bit more of the fiery outgoing and pisces being a little more accommodating and uh sort of all accepting personality so there's not a lot of competition for egos or uh kind of you know instant anxiety or tension. These two guys would just naturally get along. Um, but again, when you're talking about having to actually produce, work together, or do something, you really need to look at their communication factor. So we look at their mercuries. Their Mercurys, uh, the planet is Martinez is in Cancer, well, is in Aquarius. Um, these two are also really compatible. There's not a lot of room for them to kind of have a lot of misunderstandings. But it is possible for like Martinez to be a little bit more of an excuse maker. Maybe he's made a little bit more of a complainer or late to practice. I, I don't know him, so I don't know <laughs> if this is true. But in looking at his chart, you see he might just be a little more moody or short at times, nothing personal. But that might just be a temperament. Where the good thing is like a muzzin, he's he's an Aquarius. And he's the kind of guy who never takes anything personally anyway. So he's not going to get up all worked up about it. Whereas you may have people you know, at practices or word communication where you're having to really work and talk things through. About what you know, execution—that could be a real problem. These guys don't have that, despite being really kind of different types of people. They really get—they're complementary, so that's a good thing. Um, and passion-wise, they're both uh, same thing. Cancer queries actually. And um, Martinez is very passionate. I'm assuming again from his chart that he's kind of hockey a huge part of his life. This is kind of what he considers his home, and he really defines his own worth on his ability to play hockey. So it's a huge deal for him. Whereas. Um, Muzzin is really much more into it for the creativity, the stimulation. It's more about always getting better, always improving and he's a little bit more self-focused. So again, he doesn't really, the two of their passions are in alignment and not in competition. So that's great too. So you don't have one guy who's saying, I want to be this, this is all about me. Hockey's about me becoming the all-star, getting winning a cup. Whereas one guy's like, oh, it's about me and my family and my lifestyle. These two guys actually get along really great, um, passion wise. So again, you got another good thing for you, which is consistent with um, you know, what you're seeing probably analytically, everything's in alignment, right? So then you get into how they play in games or, you know, Leo and Taurus are their signs together, which are, are awesome. I mean, technically right, this is amazing. He's, you know, got Martinez is this fiery Leo he's going to go out there and, and be really aggressive where in Taurus is kind of the workhorse and complementary to that. They should both be really good at getting fired up and, and executing. So, you know, when you look at these three primary areas, you're like, "Yeah, this is solid. This should; these guys should really be sort of a plug and play type of duo." Um, but where you run into the one red flag is, and they Jupiters, which is their ability to attract luck um, and opportunities. And what we have, Martinez is in Aries, uh, Jupiter, and Muzzin is in Taurus, and that isn't the most compatible.
1: Can I can I can I ask real quick what that means? This is the Jupiter is in? Uh, Aries or Taurus?
0: Yeah, yeah. So with Martínez having his Jupiter and Aries, this isn't a bad thing. It's not a great thing. It basically means that he would from night to night, you know, things are changing astrologically on, on any given night and that, you can see a lot of variants in games. You have these incredible blow-up games or these games where, you know, everything just seems to gel. Aries is, are really hot-headed. They can be very aggressive and sometimes they can overreach. So, when you have an Aries Jupiter, you're playing the best when you're kind of emotionally pretty well-tempered because the ability to overreach can be really positive. Being aggressive is a great thing in hockey. But if you are kind of underlining emotional, like he's got a lot of cancer in his chart. We just talked about that. He can be moody. He can have all these things going on. So if there's something happening to him in a given night, his Aries is going to maybe just implode the opposite direction and not create the luck naturally that he would because he'd be overreaching or he'll just basically get sloppy. I don't want to say that because I don't, it's not to infer that he's not a good great athlete or anything, but you know, that's what will happen to him from night to night. And again, where you'd want to have happen is that Muzzin would overcompensate for nights like that. Right. So you always want a pairing to be, you know, able to, uh, you know, complement the other person's ups and downs. Well, Muzzin's the Taurus and that's a really good thing. Taurus is there's kind of the steady eddies in hockey. They're, I call them the, the grinders, Taurus and Capricorn. They're kind of, you can plug them in anywhere and they're always going to perform pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. Um, And he does have a very predictable, consistent temperament problem with him is he's being a Taurus is you can become a little too reliant on your environment and your routine. So he might get to the point, you know, he won't like it. If Muzzin is overreaching or creating problems, he's like, dude, dude, you know, this isn't good. Um, So that This is all just sort of happening at the luck level. So it's that energy that can kind of backfire on them, I think. And you're going to see that happening. And it'll shift from night to night because there's just going to be nights where, again, they're going to be using their strong communication skills and other things will be auspiciously favored for them. So their luck will, will work. But by default, their luck isn't really awesome. It's not like, you know, some pairings you get really great high compatible luck and I can, can really offset where they aren't doing well in other areas. where you're just like, God, he played like crap, but he still scored. You know, like, how does that happen? And those are people that are generally just kind of predispos- predisposition for, for luckier bounces and stuff.
1: Well, see, that's fascinating to me because one of the arguments that I've heard back from some of the people that I've argued with this about is that um, – is that it is just bad luck for Martinez and, and Muzzin. You know, let's take, a for example, the 6-4 loss to the Dallas Stars um, a, a few games ago. I think, I think they were on the ice for five goals, if not maybe four goals, but they were on the ice for most of the goals scored against, and I'm not sure that you would necessarily blame any of them on Martinez or Muzzin specifically. There weren't, you know, defensive zone lapses or, or glaring errors made. It was just one of those things a goal got scored and they happened to be on the ice and even in the 2 to 1 loss uh to the Tampa Bay Lightning they were on the ice for both of those goals and i'm not sure uh that either one of them would have necessarily been considered their fault quote unquote um is is luck something that can be from your perspective i should stress um is is luck something that can be manipulated by let's let's say if we switched the pairs would there would the uh, would that impact the, the, the luck quotient of their charts?
0: Well, definitely. I mean, I think that you know, there's definitely some players that would be more compatible in the luck factor, but then you also have to look again at the other components just because they're lucky mm-hmm. doesn't mean mm-hmm. they're going to get along. So then right. you might have issues off ice or that resentment could start building. So you really are looking, you know, for that perfect scenario which is that's what makes building a roster so complicated and I think that's why people when you look at a winning franchise there's so many fact, or factors you look at the roster you look at the coaching you look at so many things and you go, it, was, it was just sort of everything came together um but even a small thing with the trade deadline coming up I mean one small trade can really impact the dynamic of a team um but, yeah, luck is a huge factor. I and mean, then you also have to look at your opponents, too. I mean, these these guys are a great pairing. And, you know, you, hockey, sports are, there's always a bit of luck. But, you know, we go into it hoping it's not just luck. You know, you want there to be the ability to overcome bad luck. And that does exist. Um, but you also have to look at whether your opponents are feeling they aren't are being favored for luck or just having an incredible night. Everyone's had that. Where you played really well. They played, you know, everyone was getting lucky. Um so at the end of the day, it does come down to your ability to kind of stay cool headed, keep executing, you know, also your coaching, everybody. So, you know, I'm not out to say, oh, he's just not lucky. And, and that's all it is. It's, it's everything. And I think just having awareness of it is what makes it fun and exciting to talk about. You know, I think if
2: you if know I knew that I,
0: me and my partner weren't lucky, I might think about that and just go, okay, let's try to work around that, you know.
1: It's one of those fascinating things to me there's a there's a stat called pdo which essentially um is considered to be the the reflection of luck on your season and the instant I found out about that stat, I was fascinated by it because one of the things that I often wonder is you know we when we talk about sports from a statistical standpoint, we sort of tend to want to think that there's some reliability or repeatability or objectivity about these conversations when the reality is at the end of the day somebody has to win and lose each game and over the period of time somebody has to be in first place somebody has to be in last place and the playoffs aren't you know um a question of achieving a goal uh faster than your opponent. It's a question of of beating your opponent. And again, somebody has to win. So even if all 30 teams are actually terrible, it doesn't matter because somebody will be named Stanley Cup champion at the end of each year. And so I always wonder, is it possible that we are actually just watching total random <laughs> luck and chance <laughs> play out every year and then just going back and trying to explain why, you know... Wayne Gretzky won the Stanley cup four times and Steve Iserman, you know, won it three times or whatever, and making some sort of pretend argument that makes sense of it all. Um, so <laughs> I am always fascinated by the thought of luck and what role it might play, uh, in these larger narratives that we construct. Um, so I appreciate your perspective on it. Uh, let's, yeah. let's talk about the Kings, uh, as if they were a person, um, I know that that it's not exactly um, a perfect comparison, but the team is 50 years old; it has a somewhat of a birthday. Uh, so, what can you tell us about uh, the person of the LA Kings?
0: Well, we uh, we often look at charts, organizations, charts, um, companies, teams, and things like that to get a feel for you know what is sort of the culture or the default temperament. Of this team and and how does it manifest and when is this team the most successful, like when you're being true to yourself. So I think, you know, you and I talked and we decided October 14th, 1967 with with the first, I guess, official game Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that and in Long Beach as sort of their chart when they were born. And the Kings as an organization, like when you look at their chart on paper, it's it's really sort of this, the theme that I keep repeating is sort of work smarter, not harder mentality. It's it's you know probably from the front office to even down the players, coaching staff, everything. There's this theme of wanting to play and be a more intellectual franchise than sort of this physically dominating game. I think they want to be the team that play, does it right more than they say the team that just dominates physically and. Um, I mean, I think intellectually that could mean a team, that, you know, a team that is all about sort controlling the pace, or maybe more predictable pairings, that type of thing. Uh, definitely attract and retain players that are more self auditing versus sort of the micromanaging team players who need a lot of direction. So, um, this franchise is a franchise of people that are really highly motivated to play smart and well. And they definitely more of an offensive defense strategy. You know, maybe not the old school kind of brute defensive culture, which I think some franchises definitely still have. Um, you know, an orthodox approach, like even not goaltending, which I think we could say like right, Jonathan Click for sure is sort of an mm-hmm. unorthodox goalie, and I think he's really found a home there because this chart—that's kind of what the Kings. Are about when you look at this. I mean, not to say they are on a physical team, you know, but to them, like physicality and intimidation aren't necessarily who they are. I mean, look the team, they're just giants, sort of big guys, they're just kind of all about dominating from the get go. I mean, if you look at their chart, it's clear that they're kind of, they like to keep surprising, keeping the other teams guessing, is a little bit more of their personality kind of challenging traditional hockey norms. Mm-hmm. Does that
1: make any sense? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they, you know, the phrase big boy hockey gets thrown around and people talk about the ducks and the sharks and the Kings as these big teams. And yet when the Kings succeed, when they really succeed, um, they do it through a combination of skill and size. I mean, Kopitar and Jeff Carter are both uh, large men, right? Kopitar's six foot three, Jeff Carter, six foot three. Um, they're tall, they're big. And yet I don't, you know, nobody's presenting them the way, you would the the broad street bullies of the old Philadelphia Flyers or you know anything like that they don't win through intimidation or, or physicality they win through skill and uh, mm-hmm. and relentless uh, defense and 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 but but with a with an ability to generate amazing offense so yeah that i think that sounds right
0: yeah i mean it's interesting because when you i mean you know better than me but you really do see sort of this outsmarting, outlasting teams as being where they would would be their sweet spot. You know, so if if they have a season or when they, you know, when when they have won the cup, you know, those are probably, that's probably how they did it. Um, Another interesting thing about their chart is just sort of their personality externally, you know, they're very like, global team. They're very welcoming. You know, mm-hmm. they have the potential to be an organization that's well liked beyond the LA region. Whereas there's a lot of teams who are very localized. You know, particularly you know, some of the Canadian teams. Like if you're LA's fan, you're a you know. And and the organization really fosters a sense of sort of local fan. And LA does it too. But you could have an LA. LA has this appeal like internationally. They really well, they of course appreciate the local fans. They can really, they want to make everybody love them and they're entertaining. And that's a big part of who they are. And I think by default, they've actually been pretty successful. I mean, you meet King's fans all over the place. Um, so I think that's also something that you definitely see that right in their chart. It's there. And in terms of their luck planet, their planet <laughs> of luck in, in Leo, which is great uh, for them because it's very favorable and it is a good thing. Um, and it's likely contributed to, you know, why they actually won the Cubs. It's a good thing. So they're a lucky team. They got a lot of good things going for them. I think progressive is a word I would use to describe them.
1: Well, you know, in uh, 2012, they, they famously had no injuries to their uh, defensive uh, core, and all six defensemen played every game of the playoffs in 2012. Um, that's incredibly lucky. <laughs> Um, there's just no, way to, no two ways around that. And then of course to win, uh, three game sevens, uh, in 2014, although they had Justin Williams and I, look, Justin Williams is a force of nature, uh, in game seven. So I don't know that luck has anything to do with it, but, uh, but just the same to get, uh, some of the bounces they did in those games, uh, definitely luck played a role. Jessica, I want to thank you very much for joining me.
0: Yeah, thanks for having
1: me back. My pleasure. The website is ZodiacHockey.com. You can follow them on Twitter, at Zodiac Hockey. We will have Jessica on uh, in the coming weeks as the uh, expansion draft looms, the trading deadline happens. Uh, We are going to continue to explore this angle. Um, So I do encourage you to uh, check out the website and follow her on Twitter. Thanks as always, Jessica. We'll talk to you soon.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye.